Um, I lead our Sunday service teams here at Church in the Valley and help out in a couple of different ways. And, and today we're going to be talking about teamwork, as Diego said. Um, so the, the message or the, the title of our message this morning is A Team to Make the Dream. But before we get into that, I'm going to go ahead and pray because I could use some prayer. So let's go ahead and pray. God, we just thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, we thank you for your word and how your word can change our lives really draw us closer to you and really give us wonderful lives. I pray that your word would go out this morning, that it would change all of our hearts, Lord, that we'd put aside anything that's distracting us, God, and that we'd be able to focus on you. So we just thank you for this time, and we pray that you'd be glorified. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, teamwork makes the dream work? Anyone? Teamwork, yeah, yeah, pretty. You know, it's a little bit corny. It's kind of you know, fun. It's something I say to my son a lot when we're doing things together. Um, and there's actually, there's a lot of great teamwork quotes out there. Here's a few. The truth is that teamwork is at the heart of great achievement. Teamwork is the fuel that allows common people to attain uncommon results. Alone, we can do little. Together, we can do much. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Now, I don't know about you, but those actually kind of do pump me up. Like it makes me excited to really team with others. And especially right now, with how much do we need to be a part of teams? It's so easy right now to be isolated, to feel alone, um, to feel like things are falling around a part of us. And teamwork makes the dream work. You know, and it really is a very interesting phrase. If we team together, we can really achieve the things that we want to. We can do so much more than we can by ourselves. I work as a designer in an architecture firm. Now, when you're being trained to be an architect, you actually do almost all of your work by yourself. You do all these individual projects. It's only on a rare occasion that they actually have you do a group project, a team project. And the funny thing is that most students really hate them because they want to be the lead designer. They want to be the visionary. They want to call the shots. And when you have to work with a team, you can't really do that. You kind of have to work as a team. But the reality is, is once you get out into the architectural practice, one of the things that you find is if you're working on any project of size, you always have to team together. It is just what you do. You work with other people to make that project happen. You know, it's just too big for any one person to handle. And, you know, what I've actually found is that these quotes are true. You know, when you team together, when I've teamed together with others, I have found that we are able to create much better designs, much more creative and thoughtful things than I ever could have done on my own. By teaming together, there was this amazing impact and a great result. You know, there's so much power in teaming. There's so much truth to these kind of inspirational poster quotes. But they actually come with a little bit of a hidden caveat. And that is that you are joining the right team. So what happens if you join the wrong team? You know, what happens if we partner with the wrong teammates? You know, have you ever had a really challenging coworker or a boss? Um, you know, maybe they were unhelpful, unkind. Uh, maybe they were encouraging you to do things that you really knew you shouldn't have done. You know, when, we're, when we have teaming like that for a project or an event, it can make things really difficult. But what happens if we are teaming with the wrong people in life? And by teaming together, I mean, what if we are joining with people who are influencing our lives, who are speaking to us, 
who are really influencing us and, and leading us down different paths? What if those are the wrong people in life? Well, Proverbs gives us a real clear picture of what this means if we join with the wrong team. And we can see that in Proverbs thirteen twenty. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Again, that's whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Who we choose to team up in with life really has a huge impact on where we go. It can cause us to really have an outcome of wisdom and all the good that comes with that, but it can also be the result of suffering harm. You know, I know a lot of people who aren't overtly wicked. They're not overtly trying to do things against God, but they do live a foolish lifestyle because what foolish lifestyle is, is it's not taking God into account. And so when we don't take into account, we're acting foolishly. And so it's a little bit of a surprising statement here that says that those who are the companion of fools will suffer harm. It's a little bit scary. Now, in case we have any doubts about the reality of this, Second Chronicles actually gives a great series of, of case studies that, you know, play out Proverbs 13.20 and show it to be real. And what Second Chronicles is, it's a book in the Bible that really recounts the kings of Judah and their history. So for a broad sweep this morning, we're going to look at three different kings and three different teaming relationships they had. Teaming with running mates, you know, the peers who we choose to do life with, teaming with spouses and teaming with counselors. And we'll see how that plays out, that whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So we'll start in Second Chronicles 10, and we're going to look at the grandson of King David, whose name was Rehoboam. So this is Second uh, Chronicles 10, 1 through 16. And basically what's happening here is that King Solomon, who was the wisest king, died, and his son Rehoboam takes over. And he comes, and all the people of Israel, the entire kingdom, come forward to basically establish him as king. And this was at the height of the kingdom of Israel's power. It was the, their, their greatest power, their greatest geographical influence. And they all come to him. And when they come to him, they t- tell him something. They ask him something. And you can see that in verse 4. It says, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. So King Solomon had made the people work hard. They had done all these great things. They had built gardens. They had built buildings. They had done all these great achievements. And clearly, they were a little tired. They were asking Rehoboam, make things a little easier on us, and we will serve you. So Rehoboam didn't answer at that moment. He said, come back in three days, and I'll answer you. If we look in verse 6, this is what happened. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer these people? So he went to the wise men, the people who had stood before his very wise father, and said, what do you say? And they said to him, if you will be good to this people and will please them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he, Rehoboam, abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he basically says to them, so he he abandons the counsel of the old wise men and he says to his friends, hey, what do you guys think I should do? And what they tell him is very different from what the old men told him. The old wise men said, be kind to these people. They said, you know what? These people are just kind of fussing. They're complaining a little bit. You just need to go and give them a firm hand. You know, you tell them, you thought it was hard under my father. Wait until you deal with me. You know, he disciplined you with whips. I'm going to discipline you with scorpions. And so Rehoboam, he goes, sounds good. I'm going to do that. He goes and says this to the people of Israel. Let's look at what the result of that was. Verse 16. 
What portion have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Each of you to your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So basically what happens is that the people says, you know what? Forget it. We're done with you, Rehoboam. We, we're not a part of the family of David. You're not our king. We're going to go do our own thing. So the kingdom, at the height of its power, suddenly split in two. As Rehoboam did not take the counsel of wise men, but took counsel from his unwise running mates, his unwise friends. And the kingdom of Israel became two kings. It became the kingdom of Judah and it became the kingdom of another kingdom called Israel. And so, you know, all this pain and suffering over hundreds of years happened when Rehoboam did not follow the advice of wiser men, but went with his running mates. You know, actually, when I was a freshman at USC, I joined the USC uh, Trojan marching band. And I'll say that that was actually a really bad team for me to join. It was not a helpful place to be a part of. You know, I'd come from high school where I was a part of our jazz band playing the trombone, playing the bass. And now I'd gotten into the hype of like being a part of this band. This is going to be great. I'm going to have so much fun. What I didn't realize is that there was a lot of alcohol and drugs, poor living that was being encouraged through the band and in the band. And, you know, while I didn't get swept up into that, thankfully, I actually saw a lot of the other freshmen that I joined with start to live very bad lives. And because what it was is as we went to college, those became their new running mates. Those were the people that they were doing life with, and it really caused them to go down an unhelpful path. So more on that later, more on that later. Let's now switch and look at teaming with spouses. Jehoram is another king that came a little bit later. He was the great, great, great grandson of King David. And his father was Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat actually sought to follow God for the most part. So he was a good example. But what we see is that Jehoram, because he partnered with an ungodly spouse, an unwise spouse, it also caused him to go a very bad direction. We can look in verse 5. It says that Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the ways of the king of Israel as the house of Ahab had done. What that means that he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, the house that Ahab had done, is basically Ahab was a king of that other kingdom, Israel, and Ahab really led those people to do wicked things, to not follow God. And so when it said that he was following in Ahab's footsteps, it's saying he was also not taking his kingdom to do good things. So he walked in the way of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So he had teamed with a foolish partner, with a foolish spouse. And because of that, it drawled his heart into doing bad things. And you can actually look at the end of his life. It was so bad that if we look in in Chronicles 21.20, it says that when he died and he departed with no one's regret. So no one at all minded that he was no longer there. They basically said, good riddance. It's obviously not a life that we want to be a part of, not a life that ended well. Well, let's look at teaming with bad mentors. If we look at Second Chronicles 22, 2 through 4, we see uh, Ahaziah. He was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name, well, his mother's name was Atahila, the granddaughter of Omri. And he walked in the ways of Ahab as well. For his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done. For, the death, for after the death of his father, they were his counselors to his undoing. 
So we saw a king, he partnered with his friends who were unwise and that caused problems. We saw another king, he partners with his spouse who's unwise and that causes problems. And here, here's, here's someone who counsels, who, who partners with a counselor who's also unwise and it led to his undoing. Now, all three of these examples show that second part of Proverbs 13, 20, that the companion of fools will suffer harm. But what about the first part? Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. Well, if we look in Second Chronicles 26, 3 through 5, we can also see that being played out here. Uzziah was, a, was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. And he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. And as long as he sought God, God made him prosper. So what we see here is that Uzziah teamed with a godly mentor. He teamed with Zechariah, who was a godly priest. And when he did that, he did well and he prospered. Teamwork makes the dream work. Teaming is really powerful, but teaming with the wrong people can be powerfully bad. So this begs the question, how do we team with the right people? You know, what makes a good team? What makes good teammates? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you guys ever heard of the dream team? Anyone? A few? Maybe a few? Which one? Good question. I'm talking about the basketball dream team from the 1991 Olympics. So to give a little bit of a backstory here, prior to 1991, NBA players could not play in the Olympics. There was a rule that said they can't play. Other countries could use their professional basketball players. The U.S. could not. Well, that rule was changed in 1989, and the U.S. formed the Dream Team. So what they did is they went and took the best basketball stars that we had. I mean, this was like Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Carl Malone, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Charles Barkley, like guys who were at the peak of their basketball career, these amazing basketball players, and they created the Dream Team. They were so good that they defeated their opponents by an average of 44 points every game, and then they ended up winning gold. Like, that's amazing. 44 points every game. In fact, some people have described them as the greatest sports team ever assembled. Like, that's, that's pretty high praise. They were the dream team. You know, but they were a dream team for basketball. How do we choose a dream team for life? Do we pick the most successful people? You know, the people that are most skillful around us? Do we choose, you know, the f- people that we get along with well? Or maybe just the people that happen to be there? Well, instead of looking at that dream team for our uh, range of success, let's actually look to God's dream team. So during Jesus' ministry on earth, God assembled a group of men who were going to be his starting team for carrying out the message of this new covenant that God was establishing through Jesus Christ. And now this team wasn't made up of religious scholars or stars or, you know, epic guys. It was actually made up of a bunch of uneducated men. Most of them were fishermen. One of them was a tax collector who was likely disliked by the people around him. But these were the guys that God drew together to be his dream team, the guys God knew he could use. And to help them start out this game of spreading this new message, they had he gave them the perfect teammate and coach in Jesus. So looking at God's dream team can actually give us some really valuable insight into who we should be looking to team with through the example of that perfect teammate in Jesus Christ. And it also shows us how we can team up well with teammates through the examples of the disciples. So let's begin by looking, who do we team up with? Looking at Jesus as the perfect teammate. Well, first of all, we want to team up with those who are going in God's direction. 
the disciples saw in Jesus a resolve to go in God's way, to follow his leading and follow his ways. You know, throughout the life of Jesus, if you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus was always working to do the will of God, regardless of the expectations of those around him. Often the people around him wanted him to be doing very different things than he was doing. They wanted him to be healing everyone. They wanted him to overthrow Rome and bring back that kingdom of Israel that had been lost in the days of Rehoboam. You know, they wanted him to do all these things, but Jesus set his heart to do the will of God. And often what that caused was that made him not the most popular guy around. You know, people disliked him. They hated him. They were disappointed with him. You know, sometimes I think, oh, well, of course, Jesus didn't worry about that. Like he didn't care. But Jesus was a guy. You know, I'm sure he could have been very, he was probably very easily tempted to to want to please people, to, you know, want to be liked. But he set those things aside and he pursued after the ways of God. He was fixed on pleasing God and not on pleasing man. Galatians 1.10 sums this up well. This is a verse from Paul. And Paul says, for am, I seeking, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We need to have our hearts set on pleasing God, whether or not it pleases man. And that was the heart of Jesus. Jesus was after pleasing God and God alone, even when his own disciples wanted him to do different things. So we need to team with those who are going the way of God. Second, we want to team with those who we can do life with. So now similar to the dream team, I could say, I'm going to go and find the greatest Christian thinkers and stars around this world. I'm going to make them my team. But the reality is, is I don't live in the same city as they do. I don't go to the same church as all of them do. I'm just not in the same sphere of life as them. I cannot partner in life with them. If I said, let's get lunch, you know, they would probably very kindly decline or maybe just laugh at me. Who knows? Um, but, you know, those are people that I can't do life with. We are not together. Actually, one of the most powerful things of Jesus's ministry um, with his disciples, one of the most powerful and effective things is recorded in Mark 3, 14. And he appointed 12 whom he also named disciples so that they might be with him. Jesus got with these guys and because he was with them and they could be with him, he was a powerful teammate. He got into their life and they got into his life. So we want to team with those we can do life with. Thirdly, we want to team with those who care about us. Again, if we look at the gospels, we look at Jesus, we see him continually caring for his disciples. He met their spiritual needs through teaching and encouragement. He met their physical needs, like when they were getting tired, made sure that they got time to get away and get rest. He met their practical needs, washing their feet when their feet were really dirty. And even at one of the times when Jesus probably was the most distressed, one of the hardest times of his life, we see him really looking out to care for his disciples. So, when Jesus was about to be um, taken by the mob, Judas brings the mob. Judas was one of his disciples. He brings the mob to take Jesus away. Now, at that moment, Jesus knew what was going on. And I can imagine he probably might have been thinking about the pain he was about to suffer, the crucifixion, the humiliation he was going to have to deal with, the fact that he was going to be separated from God. Imagine those things might have been swirling through Jesus's mind. But he still, in that moment, made sure to take care of his disciples. The mob comes, and what Jesus says to them is, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. He said, hey, mob, you came for me. Take only me. Let these other guys go. The mob easily could have taken all the disciples as Jesus' men 
and taken them to be punished as well. But Jesus made sure that they were cared for in the midst of his distress. He greatly cared for his people. So we want a team with those who are going in God's direction. We want a team with those who we can do life with. And we want a team with those who care for us. And finally, we want a team with those who will speak the truth with us. Life is full of so many potholes, so many different ways that we can fall down and get hurt. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it's end of the way to death. You know, we can be walking through life thinking that we're doing okay. We are going the way that we should be going, only to find that there's a giant pothole right in front of us that we're going to fall down. And teammates, because they're not in the same fog that we are, are able to see those difficulties in front of us, and they can also see opportunities right in front of us. You know, Jesus spoke the truth with his disciples, even when it was painful. He spoke to them in ways when they were um, not living in faith, when their perspective was off. He wanted to make sure that they were going away that was going to be a greatest blessing to them. Even we see again throughout the, throughout the Gospels, there's times when Jesus speaks the truth and out of the big crowd of people who are following him, people would end up leaving him because they could not handle that truth. But Jesus cared so much about the people that he wanted to make sure they understood what was going on and what was coming up. Now, he could have easily decided that was too risky, that his 12 could walk away, but he did not do that. He spoke the truth. So what we see there is that Jesus didn't give the truth without love or the love without truth, but he gave truth in love. We want people who care for us, who love us, and people who will give us the truth, truth in love. These are the type of people that we want to run with. These are the type of running mates we want to run with, the type of counselors, the type of spouses. So let's switch gears and let's look at once we find these type of teammates, how do we respond in order to team up with them well? Well, the first thing we need to do is buy in and be honest. We have to intentionally choose to team up with people. You know, earlier we talked about the need to team with people we can do life with. You know, just because there are people we can do life with or just because we hang out once in a while doesn't mean that we're automatically getting into each other's lives. Hanging out with with people on occasion is not the same as teaming together. To team together, we must allow others to really see into our lives and really allow them to have influence in our lives. We have to be open and honest with them, open and honest with one another so that we can encourage one another, that we can challenge, warn, correct one another. We really have to do life with them. And that doesn't come easy. That's something we have to choose to do. If we actually look at that disciple of Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, you know, I actually think he can be an example of someone who may not have fully bought into partnering and teaming with the rest of the disciples. You know, Judas lived with the other disciples in Jesus. He lived with them. He prayed with them. He served with them. And at all the same time as he's doing all this togetherness, we see in John twelve six that he was also stealing from them. He was stealing from their shared money bags that he oversaw. And I I think that's just a small picture of Judas not having fully bought in. He wasn't honest with what was going on in his life, despite the fact that he was with other people. Now, I don't really know what was going on in the heart of Judas, but I imagine when he first started walking with Jesus, that he at least wanted to, if did not, fully buy in. But over time, his heart drifted towards other things. But this really highlights the point that teaming together in life is not a one-time choice. It's actually something that we have to do day after day. We have to choose to buy in, to live honest and open lives, 
to sacrifice our time, our money, our effort to really make sure we are available for people and that we are getting together with people. You know, Judas didn't let others see the real him. So to team up means we have to keep buying in and let people see the real us. And this leads us to the next point that we want to team well for the whole race. So in case you might be thinking, you know, this is really a lesson for the young, a lesson for those who have not set direction, not set their hearts towards following gods, don't have the experience of years. The Bible really shows us that we actually got to be warned from having that type of mindset. You know, we have to team up for the whole race, for the entirety of our lives. So if we go back to Second Chronicles, we can see this being played out. In Second Chronicles 24, 1 through 2, um, there's a king named Joash. And Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. Going to verse 2. And Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. So there was a godly priest named Jehoiada. And as Joash became king, he teamed up with this priest and really developed a heart for God. He wanted to serve God. And so the, the temple at the time was dilapidated. And so he really sought to bring the temple of God up, to bring it forward. He sent out priests into land to collect money. And things really made good progress. Things were going well. But then Jehoiada died. And Joash actually ends up deciding to team with others. If we look at verse 17. Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them. And they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the ashram and the idols. They served false gods. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Joash had set a good direction. He was going in the right direction. But when his teaming ended, when his godly teaming ended, his wise teaming, he started teaming with foolish people. And when he let them become his influencers, the people who were really speaking in, into his life, he turned away from God. That, that project he'd been working on for years, he just abandoned it. Teaming is not just for the young. It's not for the old. It's for anyone who wishes to run a complete race to the, to really set their heart on following God and really get the benefit of that for all their days. Now, that isn't to say that anyone that we team with, we will be teaming with to the day that we die. But instead, we need to keep intentionally teaming with people through each new season of life. The reality is that people will come and go in our life. Some people will be there for a season, and some people will be there for a large extent. And both categories of these people can be good teammates. But we have to make sure that we're intentionally teaming. If we go back to that story of me joining the marching band, I had actually just come off a period where I had been teaming well. There were some guys that I was walking through in high school that were really helpful to my life. And then soon after coming to college, I ended up joining with the people at Christian Challenge. And so I, by the grace of God, not by any wisdom of my own, by the grace of God, I went from one good team to another with a small period in between where the people around me were really of a negative influence. But had I not done that, had I not joined that other team, over time, little by little, I might have given in to that style of life. You know, as I said, I saw other guys around me who, you know, another guy who claimed to have religious feelings, who really kind of went that direction. And I don't know what was going on in his heart, but seeing that influence on him is a scary thing. So we have to be very intentional to team 
with the right people season after season. And then this leads us to the final thing, which is we need to evaluate and adjust as we seek to team with others. You know, our lives are going to change. For example, I moved and I went to college. You know, it may be us moving. It may be us getting a new job. It may be the people that we're teaming with move away. But when that happens, we need to be careful to evaluate what's going on and choose to team up with other good teammates. When I was in college, one of the guys that I teamed up with at Christian Challenge, his name was Derek. And we hung out all the time. We did a lot of life together. And Derek was a very good teammate for me. He really had a great impact on my life. But as we graduated, he moved out to the Inland Empire, and we weren't very good about keeping in touch with each other. And then he ultimately ended up to moving to another church, and we saw each other even less. And not that there was any um, problem with our relationship, but just because we, being guys, hadn't really maintained that very well, you know, we, in essence, were no longer doing life together. And therefore, I had to make sure that I was teaming with others. And, you know, this is not the only time that this has happened in my life. And many times I've actually been teaming with people who have moved away, where God has taken them to new places. And in all honesty, you know, I'll be, I have not always been good at finding new teammates. You know, I've looked around my life at times and thought, who is it that I'm regularly allowing to speak into my life and to see my life well enough that they can do that? You know, I have a very godly wife. But sometimes I just need another guy who really understands where I'm coming from, who can smack me in the back of the head when I'm being stupid. You know, when my wife does that, it just doesn't go over quite the same. Like, we need other people in our lives. So, you know, in case you had any illusions that this message is coming from, I got a great handle on this, by no means. Be, do not be fooled. You know, this is really something that is hard to do. It's a struggle for me. I've found at times, and especially as I get older, that it's hard to team. But it's something that God really brought to my attention as I was reading through Second Chronicles. You know, teaming with others isn't always convenient, but it's crucial for our lives. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harms. The reality is that every once in a while we need to evaluate and ask ourselves, who am I teaming with? Who are the people who I'm really allowing to influence and speak into my life, who I'm really looking for as someone to walk through life with? You know, we may find, hey, I'm actually doing really well. I'm teaming with the right people. Or we may find that, like Judas, we're not being open and honest and we're starting to drift. We may find that we don't have people and that right now our biggest influencers are the influencers on Instagram, our Snapchat, our, you know, TikTok or whatever it may be. We need to take the time to evaluate so we can make sure we are teaming with the right people and that they are the kind of people that we want to have as influence in our lives. If we look at 1 Corinthians 11, while Paul says something very interesting, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, I've always thought of that in terms of just the kind of the straightforward fact, like we should imitate Paul. But I think that there's actually a little bit of an underlying message here, which is, The second that Paul is no longer imitating Christ, we should no longer be imitating Paul. I don't know if that was his exact exact intent, but it's an underlying message that we need to team with those who are being imitators of Christ. We want to team with those who are going in God's direction, who we can do life with, who care, love, and will speak the truth for us. We really want to evaluate our teaming relationships and really just make sure that we are going in the right direction that if we do life with them, that things are going to go well. You know, we want to make sure that we're not taking for granted that we're teaming with people and that we're teaming well. 
but we want to make sure that we evaluate and just. Again, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. There's a lot of promise in that verse, but there's also a lot of warning in that verse. Going back to that original quote, teamwork makes the dream work, but as long as you're teaming with the right team. I'm going to go ahead and close um, with a few recommendations for ways that you could apply this message if it was all helpful for you. I, I, find, I find it personally helpful to hear some possible ways to apply that. So here's just a couple of thoughts for you. And the band can go ahead and come on up. First of all, you can identify who you are currently teaming with. You know, you may look around and realize that you are teaming with the media or that you're teaming with coworkers, that you're teaming with those who have a similar upbringing. You may realize that you're teaming with the right people. But one thing you can do is just evaluate. Take some time to evaluate who am I teaming with. Second, you could choose a biography of a godly mentor and read it before Thanksgiving. You can read it before next week too, but I thought Thanksgiving was a good date. But, you know, find a biography, someone whose life you can really want to emulate and read that. And the third thing you can do is you can evaluate whether you're being honest and open with your teammates. Again, teaming does not automatically happen just because we are with people. We have to be honest and open with one another and really allow each other to speak into our lives. Well, thank you guys. I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we'll continue worshiping this morning. God, I I just pray that you would really change our hearts through your word, God, uh, that anything that was unhelpful spoken by me, that people would just forget and uh, that anything that's true from your word would really just uh, grow in our hearts. I pray that we would just find real teaming relationships that are going to bless us and that we would draw closer to you through it. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.